unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? Good, Nathan. How are you? I am good. I'm excited. We've got a return of a very special guest, and I'm just looking forward to today's conversation because we're going to dive into some very relevant and uh, not often explored topics on the Copywriters Podcast today. Absolutely. So to get to the guest in a moment, but I just want to say long before there was even TikTok, that time did exist, in case you didn't know, there was a company called Sherwin-Williams, and they had a very famous logo. It showed a planet-sized can of paint pouring paint all over the globe with the tagline, Cover the Earth. They still use that logo today, but I think in spirit, if not in reality, they need to share their slogan with AI because Mm -hmm. AI is drenching its way into everything. And you said we have a guest. Yes, we do, of course. And he's our returning champion, attorney Rob Freund. Rob knows advertising and IP law for marketers, as well as anyone I've ever met. And we're going to have a wide-ranging discussion with Rob about AI and the law as it applies to copy and other topics of interest to you and me. I'm constantly impressed by Rob's savvy posts on Twitter. Maybe we'll talk about some of them today. Rob is well-recognized in his field outside of Twitter and TikTok, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Bloomberg Law. Vox, Forbes, they've all quoted him. Plus, Rob has lectured about social media law at the University of Southern California and other major institutions in the U.S. and Europe. So before we get into it, I ask all the AI bots to cover their ears, and I say to you, copywriters and marketers, copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Rob, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. To start things off, I'd like to talk about a couple of recent developments of note with AI. First, another friend of the podcast, Ben Settle posted this on Twitter, said AI will literally make stuff up and provide fake URLs that don't exist. It even had dates to blog posts and keywords into the URL to make it seem more legit. Example answer, sure, here is the page, Ben Settle, where he says on his website that Sean Corbett is his favorite copywriter. And then there's a detailed link and then says, no joke, I tested this a couple times, including asking it about a website I built from the ground up, and I always controlled. ChatGPT told me to check out two pages that don't exist and never existed. Fun times. So, yeah, that's the first one. The second one is something you posted, Rob, which cracked me up and made me shake my head and, you know, laugh to keep from crying. It was about the lawyer who used ChatGPT in a court case. New York Times reported it. Maybe I'll start and you'll finish, and then we can sort of... You know, get into this time says this lawsuit began like so many others. 
A man named Robert Mata sued the airline Avianca, saying he was injured when a metal serving cart struck his knee during a flight to Kennedy International Airport in New York. So the lawyer for this guy submits a brief, and it cites more than half a dozen relevant court decisions, Martinez versus Delta Airlines, Zickerman versus Korean Airlines, Varghese versus China Southern Airlines, and others, along with a discussion of the tolling effect of the automatic stay on a statute of limitations. And there was just one problem. No one, not the airline's lawyers, not even the judge himself, could find the decisions or the quotations cited in the brief. Chat GPT had made the whole thing up, invented everything. Apparently, this guy's going, as we record this a week from now, there's going to be a hearing on sanctions for the lawyer who was basically f- submitting false information to a court of law. Not not a good idea for a lawyer, I guess. What does this tell us about the legal dangers of using AI, not just for lawyers, but also for copywriters? Yeah, that case about the lawyer is more, I guess, directly relevant to the law. Anytime a lawyer submits something in writing to the court, there's a rule of federal procedure that basically says by you know affixing your name to something, you're representing that it's accurate to the best of your knowledge and you've done diligence into looking into any factual assertions you've made and you're not advancing some argument that you know to be false or anything like that. And by just blindly relying on a piece of software to do the writing and the research and the citation for you, you can't really comply with that rule when you submit something to the court if you haven't verified that you know, the cases actually exist and the argument that you're making supposedly backed up by authority. If it doesn't, if that authority doesn't exist, you have a problem. And, and this attorney is finding that out. And what was uh, amusing to to read, but not really a laughing matter in, in, for practical purposes, is that the sort of his explanation for why he trusted the citations was that he asked ChatGPT itself, like, are you sure these cases are real? And it said, yes, here are these other cases that support what I'm saying. And he apparently thought that was sufficient, or at least that's what he tried to come up with when when this was discovered. So it makes me think about all the all the posts we're seeing about how, you know, lawyers' jobs are going away now that AI is here and you won't need a lawyer in the future. But I think more broadly, what it really shows is that Yes, in the future, who knows how far distant, AI will become more powerful, and maybe it will get to the point where it can competently do research and writing that attorneys can more quickly review for accuracy. But right now, it's a tool like any other tool that requires human oversight and verification. And so in the context of copywriters, one of the legal issues that copywriters need to look out for is if you're if you're making a claim about whatever product or service you're promoting, you need to make sure that that claim is true and not misleading and substantiated with a certain level of evidence. So if you were to go to ChatGPT and say, "Hey, this is you know I have this gummy vitamin product. Give me a video sales letter about its benefits," and and it says chewing these gummies will cure cancer, and you blindly rely on that. You're in like an analogous situation to that lawyer. It's on you to verify that what you're saying is true and supported. And you can find yourself in trouble if you're just copying and pasting output without doing that review that you have to do. 
really good point. And, um, you know, I, I think the lawyer was saying, well, I'd never used chat GPT and blah, blah, blah. And he was making all these excuses, right? And I mean, I can see, I don't know if you've done a lot of work with copywriters selling supplements or companies selling supplements, but generally it's, I think it's not just the FTC, maybe the FDA as well. You need mm-hmm. to have all kinds of citations of what those agencies consider legitimate research, which is usually, I guess, a peer-reviewed study or at least a pretty rigorous study at a research university. And if, if ChatGPT makes them up and they're not true, that could land a copywriter and a marketer in a world of trouble, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That, that That's exactly one of the risks. And, and, you know, beyond that, it could generate claims that based on the data that's been input to that learning model, it recognizes marketers like to use. So you might have, it might say, you know, our product's 100% organic or made in the USA or recyclable. And those are other phrases that if the underlying facts don't meet certain criteria, they're targets for class action litigation or some sort of enforcement action from a regulator or what have you. So it's important to understand, you know, chat GPT, in my opinion, is good for brainstorming ideas, maybe points to jump off of, maybe a list of things like, Maybe it would have taken me longer to think of saying something about that. But unless you know where the risks are, you won't be able to identify what what can sort of be more quickly added into your copy versus something that, oh, I, I really can't say that unless I do this extra step of verification. And so in any event, it, it really shouldn't be relied upon without some like hands-on human review to avoid the sort of risk that we've been talking about. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of something happened probably 30, 40 years ago when I was just starting out as a young writer, and I ended up writing something for Time Life Books, and it was in this series of of books about home repair, and I talked about, it had something to do with how how to know if a wire is safe in the wall or something like that. And I wasn't as as thorough or thoughtful as I could be. And I'll I'll never forget this. It was like the worst dressing down I'd ever had from anyone in my life. The editors started to run through all the things that could go wrong, all the people that could die, the fires that could get started, the houses that could, you know, blow up the, I don't know, for all I know, I might have shorted out a whole city with, with my bad research, according to him. And what I'm thinking is, if you're using chat GPT, you need to become that guy. You need to really take a harder look at your copy than you normally would because you're not sure where the underlying facts came from. And I think you need, as a copywriter, you need to do that before you send it to your copy chief or to your client, or if you're a copywriter for your own business, before you send it out in the market. Completely agree. Like I mentioned, I, I think it's it can be very useful in its current state for as a jumping off point for ideas or coming up with concepts or maybe even very very rough first drafts of something then is molded into something appropriate. But you know, you mentioned 
checking the underlying facts that it's based on. It might not even be based on facts at all. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what happened with this with this lawyer who found himself in that unfortunate spot. And one interesting developed thing that happened after that case was reported on, there's, there's a judge in the Northern District of Texas who issued a standing order, which is basically a judge's individual rules for everything that happens in this courtroom. And, and most federal judges have sets of rules like, you know, I like paper formatted this way. Please don't call my clerk, stuff like that. He now has a rule that says anytime you file something in my court, the attorney needs to file a certificate attesting that either no part of the filing has been has been written using generative AI or if it has, you need to attest that whatever that part was has been reviewed by an attorney. So it's an interesting development. I'm curious to see if other judges will follow the suit, but it's it drives home the point that you you really need to do the same kind of review you would do if you were generating the copy yourself. It, it can save you some time in terms of the initial ideation, but ultimately verifying that is on you. And it's certainly not on chat GPT to bear that burden. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, I guess usually standing orders from from district judges are boring, but that one's not. That's that's pretty interesting because, you know, same Nathan and I were brainstorming this a lot before today because it's such an important topic. And I was wondering, I, I don't know how much of this is legal and how much of this is just negotiation between a copywriter and their client, but what kind of liability do you have both in terms of what we've been talking about, the factual accuracy of stuff, but also in terms of possible plagiarism, you know, copyright infringement on other people's work, you know, when you use chat GPT and do you have a, an obligation to tell your client that it, you know, this copy was prepared in part with assistance from a generative AI or, chat gpt or whatever it feels yeah. like the it feels like the electric car conundrum if if electric car swerves to miss a goose and hits a child is the car responsible is the driver responsible is the manufacturer responsible same thing with copy if something goes wrong because the ai created some copy uh, who, who bears the ultimate responsibility there yeah there, there's a few interesting issues you raised there a couple of them legal one i think sort of more of just an ethical question. In terms of liability for misleading or unsubstantiated copy, the, the starting point, at least from the from the perspective of a regulator like the FTC, is that anyone involved creating a uh, deceptive ad is liable. Now, as between the agency and the brand, you can try to apportion liability through indemnification clauses. And those are often heavily negotiated in terms of you know who who's responsible for final accuracy and final substantiation and if there is a lawsuit who has to defend it for who and so forth but you know the ftc doesn't really care about your contract as between the marketer or the agency and the brand so the answer from the ftc's perspective is compliance is everyone's responsibility so you, you don't get to say well i use chat gpt and then you know the agency sent it to us and we ran it. So it's on the agency or vice versa. You know, the brand's responsible. Everyone's responsible if they're involved in creating an ad to make sure that it's truthful and not misleading and substantiated. The, the copyright issue is 
uh, are much more nuanced and much more complicated than the answer I just gave. I admit that I'm not an expert up to speed on the status of copyright issues in terms of source material that is fed into these generative AI programs. I think that there's already being made that if you just, if you take material that is subject to copyright and you use that to train the model, there's a, there's one of the issues that's being worked out and litigated right now is, is, is that an act of infringement in itself? On the other side, we have a policy statement from the U.S. Copyright Office saying that the output from these programs like ChatGPT are not subject to copyright unless there's human intervention. And so the natural next question is, well, how much do I have to mess with this to be able to be eligible to have it protected by copyright? And the Copyright Office's response, as you might expect as well, it depends. Case by case, we'll have to look at that. But the but it's not the case that I can type in a prompt into one of these models and then whatever it spits out, I can then go register that copyright or claim some copyright to that output. And then the last issue you mentioned was, you know, are you obligated to tell your clients that the deliverables you're giving them were AI assisted or that you use one of these tools? I, I think that you know, from a legal perspective right now, unless there's something in your contract that requires you to disclose that, you don't have to. There's, there's no law you can point to that says if you use a tool like this and creating the services, then you, then you need to tell your client. But I, I think that this judge's standing order, that sort of requirement and, and certification might carry over into other industries. You might see brands who don't want to be paying high agency fees for chat GPT work product who will say, like, look, if we determine that this is made merely or substantially through the use of one of these tools, we're going to have a problem or that would be a breach or something like, or, or some sort of disclosure requirement. Like if you use one of these tools, you have to tell us where and how much and so forth. And I, I think that would be a reasonable thing to start seeing pop up in these sorts of agreements if the brand cares about these issues. Okay, let's talk about deep fakes for testimonials and images, influencer, AI fake voices. I mean, that's really starting to blow up, isn't it? It is. Before, before <laughs> we jump into that, I think there was an instance with Joe Rogan. Somebody spoofed an ad with Joe Rogan's voice, and then there was recently a song that went viral with artist drake and the weekend and it didn't have either of them it just had their voices inputted and then outputted through ai and uh so not just for copywriting but for branding for commerce in general it seems like this is a an area where it's about to be a huge issue yeah from my perspective it the question i get about this is well if we're not really using the celebrity but we're using either a video deep fake or creating a voice that sounds identical or similar enough where people would think it's the celebrity we can use it because it's not them right and the answer is no like that that is a publicity rights violation and it's not a close call as far as i'm concerned the joe rogan thing was, was about as clear a publicity rights violation as you can imagine you're commercially using rogan and I, it was andrew huberman also you're using their likenesses to promote a product 
and literally putting words in their mouth about the endorsement of this product. So the fact that, you know, that they didn't say those words or that's not actual footage of them and instead it's been altered, that's not a, any sort of pass or get out of jail free card. Just because technology enables you to do something new doesn't mean that that activity is not regulated or, or the laws that apply to similar conduct don't apply you know, until a court rules on it. That's not the way that it works. Those laws apply now. And we have enough similar scenarios in the context of publicity. There's no like leap of logic or it wouldn't, the judge would need to be creative to find that it, it applies in a situation like that. And the same thing for using voices. We, there is the, one of the closest analogy rights that it, it's, is that I can think of is there was a, a lawsuit brought by Ariana Grande against Forever 21, I believe in 2019. And the issue there was Forever 21 ran an ad campaign with a model that looked strikingly similar to Ariana Grande, but it was not her. It was just another woman that, that looked a lot like her, enough like her that Ariana Grande filed a lawsuit for violating her publicity rights. That case was the way it resolved was Forever 21 declared bankruptcy, and that was sort of the end of it, to make a long story short. But the claim makes sense. And there's, going back in time, there's rulings from, there's a Ninth Circuit decision where there was an ad that involved, it, it depicted a robot, basically with a blonde wig on the set of Wheel of Fortune. And Vanna White sued, saying like, yeah, that's obviously not me, but you're evoking my persona commercially and that can trigger a publicity rights violation and the courts agreed like you you it, it, even though it's not you people are associating your persona with whatever this depiction is and that's enough so if i were to go and create an ad one of these ai voice synthesizers and i use drake's voice to promote a mug or something it's really the same issue and so it's not really a gray area, but it, it, it is a question that comes up a lot because now more people have access to tools that let them do things that couldn't be done before. I think Bruce Willis was one of the first actors to license his likeness and his voice to be used with AI. And I think Disney now has started putting in the putting a clause in contracts for their actors and their voice actors that for future use, they have the right to use their voice for the same characters, even if the actor isn't there in studio recording. So it's definitely something that the law is paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, you, you can get even more creative with licensing agreements if you have a use case for it and whoever you're working with is open to it. And, you know, we are seeing more of that, but you you can't just go and, and create uh, an image or something mimic someone's voice and then use that because the whole the whole purpose of you doing that is because you recognize the value the commercial value of doing so and so it, it makes me think of a line one of my close friends said to another one of my buddies who was trying to hatch some some scheme to make money online that, that was i mean we were all joking but what my friend said and now he's an advertising attorney that does something similar he said do you think you're being clever if so, like it's probably illegal, and, that, and that's like, <laughs> not a bad rule of thumb. Like, if you think you're getting away with something, or like, well, technically it's legal, that should be a sign that you should pause and really think about your motivation and what might 
what the risk might be. So we've been talking a little bit about where this is going, but if I could ask you to, I don't know, maybe take off your attorney hat, put on your visionary hat, look into your crystal ball a little bit in, in this way. In the same vein that any developing technology starts out with no regulation, like the Wild West, but eventually starts to get regulated, where do you see AI regulation going, especially as it applies to copywriters, marketing, and IP? Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty bad predictor of the future. I don't think my track record is great, but the dynamic is interesting because you, sort of like with Meta before it, we, we have like open AI purportedly begging for Congress to regulate their own product. But Mark Zuckerberg did that before and, you know, urging Congress to regulate certain aspects of social media. But behind the scenes, you're just spending gobs of money trying to undo exactly that. There's a lot of speculation that's going on here now. I think the real challenge with regulation is that the rate of progression of AI technology is just going to increase. And that's been something that's been predicted for decades by people like Ray Kurzweil, that the rate of technology increase is not linear, it's logarithmic. So things are going to accelerate a whole lot quicker than I think we're prepared to address. You know, I, I was shocked by the example of the, the fake, the AI-generated photo that looked like the Pentagon was on fire. Oh, I saw that, yeah. It tanked the stock market for a few hours. Like, we're already being fooled by these images. And and it really does feel like a lot of this stuff came out of nowhere in the last three months, the technology. So the regulators are really going to have their hands full. We know the pace of regulation is glacial as it is. And now the technology you're going to have to come to grips with is just taking off. So where that lands, I... Yeah. And that's going to be too creative for a lawyer. I, <laughs> okay, I well, I just thought I'd ask. I mean, yeah. plus, when, when you mention... Zuckerberg and regulators, I, I think of that famous clip with Senator Orrin Hatch, who is not exactly a technology buff, and he was <laughs> asking Zuckerberg, so if you don't charge your users, how do you make money? And Zuckerberg looks like, is this guy insane? And says, <laughs> we sell ads, and the room bursts into you know muffled laughter. I, I'm not sure all of the people who are in charge of passing the initial level of regulation or even very many of them have have any idea you know what to regulate they don't really even understand the technology i mean a lot of these people make up shit for a living anyway so there's a machine that does it what's the pro right i mean you know it's like yeah maybe maybe they would use ai to draft it and not even realize you know (laughs) that could happen i wouldn't be surprised Yeah. All right. Well, well, this is great. Nathan, did you want to throw anything more in before we wrap? No, I just wanted to say thank you for coming on. These were some of the questions that our last episode I had at the very end. And I was like, man, I wish we had time to get into all of this other stuff. And I just appreciate you giving us your time to come back and talk about these issues, because I think that they're pertinent, they're relevant. And I think that copywriters need to be aware of these issues. We always say at the beginning of every episode, the importance of how powerful copy is and how important it is to stay within the legal lines. And this is a very blurry gray area legality right now. And so having an expert on to talk about this stuff is just invaluable for us. So thank you, Rob, so much for coming on, man. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me back. It's always fun chatting with you guys. 
Awesome. Yeah, thank and you. Before uh, we're out of here, if people, oh, go ahead. Oh, Andy. yeah. Well, I, I, I want to do that part and then you can close it. Okay. Um, we rarely give homework on the Copywriters Podcast, but I'm going to give you some right now. If you're not on Twitter, get on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, follow at Robert com, R-O-B-E-R-T-F-R-E-U-N-D-L-A-W, because he's at the cutting edge. And, you know, I hope you take this the right way, Robert. For, for a lawyer, he's extremely clear and easy to understand, uh, even for a non-lawyer like me. And he finds some really funny stuff, too. So anyway, yeah, Rob, also many thanks for this. All right. So follow Rob on Instagram and Twitter. And Rob, what's your website if people want to check out your website? Yeah, it's robertfreundlaw.com and Freund is F-R-E-U-N-D. All right, awesome. Thank you so much, man, again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this listening, go check out more episodes over at copywriterspodcast.com. We will see you in the future and uh, y'all have a good one. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Hey, let me ask you something. How would you like a complete copywriting course packed into a $10 Kindle book? Yeah? Then let me invite you to try Breakthrough Copywriting. It's only $10 and it's available now on Amazon as a Kindle. Breakthrough Copywriting was originally a $5,000 live seminar I held in Las Vegas. People flew in from all over the world to attend Breakthrough Copywriting. This Kindle book by the same name is a complete version of my four presentations at the seminar. If you would like to dig into copywriting basics or refresh the knowledge you already have, then you'll really like Breakthrough Copywriting. A-listers like John Carlton, Joe Sugarman, and Bob Bly give this book an A+, and you can read the reviews right on the Amazon site. This episode of the Copywriters Podcast is sponsored by Breakthrough Copywriting. Check this book out at Amazon.com today. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.